Most all of us have heard the story of baby Jesus lying in a manger. Matthew, we're going to look at this evening, tells this story in just seven verses. He tells about the miraculous birth of the Messiah. Nevertheless, these verses are jam-packed. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we recognize these verses which we're going to read are so common. We've read them so many times. And the story, well, might get a little comfortable. We ask today, though, Lord, that you would work in each one of our hearts. We pray, Lord, that there would be wonder. The opportunity we have to relook at a story that has changed so many of our lives. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to even meet together tonight. We thank you, Father, for the families that are gathered. And we thank you most of all, Father, that we can take some moments and reflect on how loving, how wonderful, How gracious you are. We pray all these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is a great story. It's a story, once again, that that so many of us, well, maybe even know by heart. But I'd like you, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And as I said, really the crux of it is found just in seven verses. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. We find at this time, the time when Jesus was born, that a Roman census was decreed. Normally, Rome would do this when they needed extra taxes or when they needed military help. In this case, it was probably for tax purposes. We're told all of the Jews were to return back to their hometown, to their point of origin. Joseph's family was from Bethlehem. So this would be his destination. So at this time, people from all over the Roman Empire was traveling. Lots of folks on the road. The trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was a journey of about 70 miles. And to put it in perspective, would normally take about three days. We're not so sure if you have a wife who's great with child how long it took, but at least three days. 
Then look at verse 5. He, or Joseph, took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. When you first read this, and, and if you understand again Mary's condition, so very, very, very close to giving birth, and the options even for travel, whether it be burrow or donkey or walking, for the most part, at least for peasants, it seemed like a really long journey. So it seems a little odd that Joseph took Mary with him on this journey. But as you recall, he probably couldn't leave her at home, probably couldn't leave her back in Nazareth because, well, of the shame or the scorn. Over these last few weeks, we've tried to understand a little bit what Mary and Joseph have gone through. But we know pretty sure that most people didn't believe that, well, the Holy Spirit was the one who conceived the child in Mary. So day after day, wherever she went and whatever she did, people would look at her differently. So I'm pro- probably sure that Joseph just didn't want her to, well, stand this ridicule. But really, I think both of these young people understood God's word and understood that Micah the prophet had prophesied where the Messiah was going to be born, and they knew it was Bethlehem. Now we get to verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. It came time. It was time for this little baby to be born. Now, a baby's birth was a big deal back then as it was today, although our protocols probably are really, really different. If you're pregnant and you are anticipating, whether it be your first baby or who knows how many you have had in your household, But any way you look at it, parents often meticulously plan this event. They carefully pick the venue and the doctor or the midwife. In fact, I'm not even sure if you've been listening, but there are hospitals who are advertising and trying to convince you that their hospital is absolutely the best. They have the best birthing center. They have the most births. Oh, you would be fortunate if you could just end up at this hospital. Well, as we know, that just wasn't the case a few thousand years ago. We do know this, is that even today, with all of science and with all of, well, the medical care that's available to us, most doctors won't encourage traveling. They don't want you to have a baby on a plane or on a train. 
or some other place. They want you to stay at home. And when this little baby calls, you come right to the hospital and we'll take care of you. So traveling seemed a little odd. The scriptures tell us that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Again, few words. But as far as we know, if we put this in perspective, it just wasn't an arrival of the king of kings. We don't have any record of angels appearing when baby Jesus was born. Yes, later to the shepherds. There doesn't seem to be at least a recording of of heavenly trumpets sounding. There was no voice from heaven. There were no doctors, as far as we know. Just a young husband who was more comfortable with the clanging of a hammer than the labor cries of his young wife. We are told that Mary wrapped the newborn in strips of cloth. Now, there's a normal procedure back then simply to protect the limbs of the infant. But again, look at the words. She wrapped Jesus. It just really says that she didn't have much help or support. I'm not sure, again, how many of you recognize how you feel or remember after giving birth. My guess is you're a little tired. There's great joy. But that was quite the experience. For you then to be required to take care of your little baby? For you to get up and make sure everything's okay? It just showed that she was alone. The scriptures tell us at this time that Jesus was laid in a feeding trough, a manger, because there was no lodging available. Or in some of your translations, and when you read, there's no room in the inn. (laughs) There's no lodging. There's no room. Certainly not a hospital, But the only thing we know is that Jesus was born and he was put in a feeding trough. Now, the major part seems pretty clear. But the no lodging available or the no room in the inn isn't. And and let me explain. The word translated in right here normally isn't translated in. It's normally not the one used for in. It usually is used for guest room or shelter. Now, realistically, Joseph was traveling back to where he had roots and where perhaps some relatives were. So it could make sense that he went to a relative's house hoping to use the guest room. But 
even if that were the case, they were jammed. The place was filled. Now, the Bible does not specifically say where Mary gave birth. We know, as we've mentioned, that his crib was a feeding trough. So most likely, Jesus was born in a place where animals were kept. If you look at tradition in some of the earliest writings, not the scripture, but dating back to the middle of the second century, most folks thought that Jesus was born in a cave. It still was a place where animals were kept, but at least that's what was said. Any way you look at it, the scene was one of abject humility. So demeaning for anyone, but especially the king of kings, the creator of all. I hope you don't run over this fact. That the way that Jesus came to this planet, should have shocked everyone 2,000 years ago and is still shocking us. No one could have ever imagined the long-awaited Messiah would be born in this manner. Actually, I think Dr. Luke, who is writing this history of Jesus, is letting us know from the beginning that the Messiah, this Messiah, will surprise you. That this Messiah will often do the unexpected. So we have a young gal giving birth in the most primitive of conditions. She was alone, far from her friends, and family. Now let me at least say this. I think it's safe to assume here that there was a conversation with an innkeeper or someone who had the ability, whether it be a relative or a friend of a relative, to provide temporary housing or shelter. Someone just doesn't arrive in a city especially if they're not from there, and just barge in and take over a room or a place. So maybe, just maybe, it might have looked like this. Let's watch. I'm all booked up, sorry. We don't need much. What part of I'm all booked up did you not understand? I have no room for you in my inn. Please. We've been walking for days. Do you think you were the first person to pound on my door at this hour of the night looking for a room? There has to be something. A, a closet, perhaps. You can keep asking the same question. I'm going to give you the same answer. Just... Why? What are you doing up? You need to rest now. We won't be any trouble. I'll pay you whatever you want. Please. I'm, I'm sorry. No vacancies. 
okay. God will provide. Hey. Give me a minute. God had been working miraculously. There was no doubt that he was walking with this young couple. They knew they were supposed to be in Bethlehem. But can you imagine? You all know what it's like when you make a reservation, you show up. I I think probably everyone's had this experience. And there's no room. And, and it's, you know, like 2 o'clock in the, in the morning. You're going like, hey, wait a minute here. Let me show you my receipt. You're like, what is going on? But imagine. They knew this was the Son of God in her womb. Well, how, how come? There's no room. Wouldn't you expect just at least a room? And there wasn't a room. So we see this person, this relative, this friend, or this friend of a friend, or this innkeeper. We see this person as either harsh and unloving. How could you say there's no room? And how could you take a young couple to a stable or a place where animals are kept? Have you no decency? So we kind of beat that person up, right? Or we might even just think they're actually gracious and kind. Hey, there's no room anywhere. In fact, who knows? This person may have given his room or their room away. I mean, there was nothing except a stable. Maybe he went there. Maybe he cleaned it up a little bit. Maybe they put down blankets. Maybe he brought water and and cloth and made it the best he could. The assumption is that Joseph did have to knock or ask somebody. And according to the scene from this video, this clip, the innkeeper heard the knock and eventually was convinced he could help. If this story plays out, he leads Mary and Joseph to a place where animals are sheltered and fed so Mary could give birth. And as soon after she does, she lays Jesus in a feeding trough. (laughs) In a sense, we all are in the position as the innkeeper in this skit. We all are gatekeepers of our hearts. We know 2,000 years later, as we look at this story and as we read the Bible and understand more about God, 
we see that Jesus wants a relationship with each one of us. Not just a casual one. Not just one that maybe, you know, uh, takes care of a need here or there. Jesus knows that life is a struggle without him. That life is hard. A relationship with Jesus doesn't take the heart away, doesn't take the struggles, doesn't give you less questions, but the promise is he'll do life with you and give you perspective and give you strength. Even during the days and the times when there's so many questions. He knows our pathway and where we have gone to find life and the dead ends that we have hit. He also knows that if you invite him into your life, that a relationship with Jesus changes everything. Everything. So when Jesus says to you and to me and even to the multitudes back 2,000 years ago, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy loads, and I, I will give you rest. Do we come and allow him to lead us and to change us? Or do we say, you know what? There isn't any room for you, King of Kings. I I like running my life. I'm doing okay. I'm not exactly sure of the future, but in spite of pandemic and chaos and unrest in our country, I, you know what? We're doing okay. You know, we've, we've been busy, and, and many of us have been busy actually doing really good things, not evil things or bad things. We've been focusing even in this season on the right food and the decor for holidays and on the right school to attend and the right sports team and the right job to accept. We're looking at trying to get to the next level on gaming or we're spending extra time at the gym We're trying to advance our career or trying to figure out where to spend our stimulus. We want a perfect vacation to enjoy. And we've been fixing up our house and sending out cards and working a second job. And we've been really busy and sometimes so busy that we leave out what's maybe most important. Now, I know that's not always the case, but it's so much the case during this time. We're trying to navigate life during a pandemic, and we are weary, and we're carrying heavy loads, and we want rest. Today, even if it be just for a moment, we're going to ask you to pause, to focus on a Savior that came in such a unique way 2,000 years ago to make a statement and to be our Savior. 
You see, I think one of the hardest things to do today is to ponder. I think pondering is hard. Silence and inactivity actually scare us. We love to stay busy and active. But Luke's simple, straightforward, unembellished language describes the most profound birth and the most far-reaching implications in the history of the world. On a night like any other night in an obscure village in Israel, unnoticed by the world, a child was born. But while his birth was like that of every other child, the child was unlike any other child ever born, either before or after. For this child was the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God with skin, Israel's long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, our Savior. To cut to the chase, he came into this world to save us, people who are rebellious, people that want to live life our own way and go our own direction. And Jesus says, I love you. I love you you. And I'm going to send my son to be your savior. To be the one that will pay your debt, your rebelliousness, so that you might get reconnected to God himself. That you might be called a son or a daughter of God. This is good news. This is gospel. So what I want to do is encourage you not only to pause and focus, but to reflect and respond tonight. (laughs) Rick, you're a little pushy. I'm not. I don't want to be. This is important. And no matter where you are in the journey, sometimes we need to ponder. We need to look once again at the story that is the greatest of all stories that changed all of mankind and changed so many of the lives sitting right here in this place and those watching online. This is the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is that God loves the world and came as a baby so that he might eventually die on a cross to reunite all those who put their faith in his death. Oh, Isn't that cool? Isn't that something? And sometimes we see this story as hmm, a story. 
May God encourage you this evening and maybe tomorrow. There is going to be a time, no matter all the family festivities or, or things that you have planned, that you can sit and ponder. Maybe it's at that time that you take that step of faith and become part of God's family. Maybe it's you're just sitting back saying, wow, I can't believe the grace that you extended to me. I can't believe you loved me like you did. I can't believe that you are my father and that you came to give me abundant life right now and that I'm going to spend eternity with you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Could, could this be the day that Jesus becomes more than a baby in a manger. And he becomes your Savior and Lord. We're always around to talk with you and would love to encourage you on this journey. But as I close, right before I pray, I'm just going to give you some quick instruction. After I'm done praying, we're going to stand and we're going to sing Silent Night. And although we're spread all over, we've got some folks with lighters and and we're going to try to light those who are on the aisle their candles. You're wearing masks, and we're so grateful that you're following our protocols here. And what we would ask you to do is this, is that once your candle is lit, is that you would just light the other candles down the row. And when our candles are lit, we're going to sing, well, silent night. And may God continue to do a work in you as we recognize how precious that night was. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this simple story. God, no one could have designed this but you. You knew that the Messiah was prophesied about. You knew how So many of the Hebrews were just hoping that that the Messiah would come and would relieve them of the oppressive political powers. But oh God, you had so much more planned than that. You sent Jesus as a baby to show us who you look like and then to eventually be sent to a cross to be the perfect sacrifice to pay our debt so that we might have life. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for the opportunity you give us. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name.
Let's stand together. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's been a wonderful night. We hope you have a wonderful Christmas. Merry Christmas. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>